Happy Easter. I said, hey, uh, he's risen indeed. Let me, uh, he is risen. Yeah, you beat me to it, Esther. Uh, we say he is risen because uh, the resurrection isn't something that just happened 2,000 years ago. It's actually something that affects us today. We, we talk in the present sense, tense. And, and throughout church history, uh, there's been a prayer that said Jesus was crucified and Jesus is risen and he will come again. And the was is the past tense, that death actually no longer has the final say, uh, but resurrection and life has the final say. And that's, that's what this morning is about. This is what we're celebrating today. It is the epicenter of uh, the Christian faith, the Christian calendar. And if it weren't for this moment in history, the church would not exist. Throughout Jesus' teaching, he, he uses stories and parables and metaphors because uh, sometimes there's, there's deep truths that just aren't accessible uh, without actually encountering them in the context of a story. There's something about a story, a, mer- uh, a parable, uh, a metaphor that actually brings truth closer to home. Uh, over a year ago, uh, a couple of friends of mine, uh, Dave and Sharon, went through uh, quite a uh, tremendous, uh, I, mean, I mean, the story goes on way longer than that, but there was an event that happened uh, well over a year ago uh, that was quite transforming in their life. And I remember when I was sitting down and I was talking to them, uh, have you ever had heard a story or a testimony, and it's somebody's story, but it was just like a, it was like a micro story of the gospel message? Has that ever happened to you? And like the whole time they're sharing their story with me, I'm like, this is... Uh, this is like an echo of the gospel. And, and sometimes stories actually help us enter into the gospel story, the good news story, uh, that much easier. And so I thought part of this Easter morning, I asked them if they were willing to share their story on Easter Sunday. Um, and I think I actually talked to them last Easter. It didn't work out last Easter. And then I said, how about this Easter? And they said, uh, we're actually not going to be around this Easter. I said, that's fine. This time we'll, we'll just videotape you and we're going to tell your story on Easter Sunday. So I'm sorry that they weren't, aren't here to join us, uh, but we are going to cut, cut up the story in a couple of different segments here. And I'm going to invite you to turn your eyes to the screen and hear a little bit of Dave and Sharon's story. Good morning. I'm Dave. This is Sharon, our last name is Hoagie, and we've been attending SunWest for 21 years. We've been married for almost 31 years. Um, We have three kids that have grown up in SunWest, at SunWest Youth, Alyssa, Jackson, and Max. Max is still here attending with us. So is Jackson, I guess. Alyssa's living in in the Lower Mainland and about to get married. We're here today to talk about our story and our story involves me actually and um, a diagnosis that I had made when that I had made to me when I was about 24 25 years old and just to backtrack a little bit is Dave and I got married um, in 1988 we were grad dates in 1985 and I was um, a new student that year in grade 12 and one of the very first people that I remember meeting in grade 12 is Dave. As it would, God would have it, is we got married. So 
then fast Not the next day. Not the next day. <laughs> fast forward then, we got married when we were 21 and we spent a little bit of time just being us and didn't really, um, I was working on my career and Dave was working as well and we decided that it would be the right time to start to have a family. And so um, at that time I was finishing up my degree and we found out that we were pregnant and it was Christmas time and it was so exciting to be, to, um, to be pregnant with our first baby. After routine blood work, we um, just routine, meaning really early, um, at eight weeks we found out that I, I, we were pregnant and that was great, but also with that came a high blood sugar. And so it wasn't just stational diabetes, it was a different kind of diabetes. And so A, I'm a nurse, B, it's nowhere in my family. It's not genetic, it's just something that out of the blue hit us. And so processing that, we st I stepped into doing everything that I needed to do, being put on insulin to take care of it. And about a month later, um, started to spot and we ended up losing that baby. What happened from there is that sometimes your body will just forget that and continue back to normalcy, but it didn't. It, it, it has and continues to have diabetes. We've walked together, Dave and I, through this journey of having diabetes and what has changed, well, everything actually. Um, you're supposed to exercise and, and keep your diet right and those things really haven't changed. I ran before and I enjoy taking care of my body. But what changed is the unpredictableness and trying to always be prepared for the what if. I remember one time in particular, it was the night before we were going, I was traveling off to El Salvador, leaving the, the house at 6 a.m. and 3, 3 a.m. Sharon had a diabetic low and we had to have the first responders into the house to, to, to recover, help her recover. And Alyssa wakes up and this is probably in high school and uh, you know, all the bus hustle and bustle and firemen walking through the house. And they leave the house at about four and we're all sitting up and I'm going, well, how can I possibly go? and uh, to, to El Salvador now that we've just had this episode and let's go, don't worry, we'll make it work, you can go, we can, we, we're resilient. And I, I think one of the biggest impacts of, uh, on our family has been, uh, I would say, resiliency from some of these situations um, that um, really these ch challenging situations that we face through, through this have uh, prepared ourselves and our kids to deal with tough situations and, and realize that that's kind of, we face these things, everybody faces these things in different formats and, uh, and God gives us the strength to start to say, okay, pick up and let's keep going on to the next thing. And that's, uh, that's you know, if we have to bring a positive into this, that would definitely be a positive. Okay. <laughs> in 2016, I was diagnosed with um, kidney disease to the point of needing a kidney. I think my function at that time was somewhere between seven and 10%. So although we were still trying to do life as normally as possible, um, my normal shifted and I didn't realize really um, how much it shifted, how much my energy was low. I had to bow out of many opportunities to do things. Um, just wasn't as easy to pick up and go and to be a part of things. Although we struggled and tried to keep life as normal as possible.
So in that time also, um, I, I fought that. I didn't want to need to have a kidney. Um, the waiting list is long. Um, for a kidney that you just put your name in for, it's anywhere from nine to... Three to nine years. Three to nine years, a long time. So at that time, I was looking for a donor as well, kind of fighting against it, but knowing that my numbers are going down and down and really getting more and more tired and unable. Dialysis is around the corner for me. And Dave stepped in and said that he would put his name in to check out if he was compatible as a donor. So Sharon uh, got a diagnosis uh, that, he, that she had... Um, that she had diabetes. And what strikes me about the human condition is, is that there's a diagnosis. And uh, throughout history, we can see that people have tried to avoid, uh, ignore, trying to not think about the diagnosis that is a part of the human condition. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus says this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call the righteous but not sinners. I've come to call those who know that they are sick, not those who think they are well. And then the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we see that there is a trajectory of sin, and that equals death. And every human being that has ever lived has had to face death, the idea of death, and eventually the reality of death. And because of that, we, we medicate. We, there, there's all sorts of ways that we medicate. And some medications are healthier than others. And, and we heard Sharon talk about some of her medications, right? But when we think about our medications, and we medicate, we're trying to think about it, we, we stay busy. Maybe we're workaholics. Maybe we have hobbies, but we stay busy. Maybe we medicate through certain addictions and, and highs and chemical uh, uh, things that we, you know, alcoholism or other things that we participate in to actually numb the pain or the reality that there's pain and uh, suffering and death is a reality in the human experience. We do all sorts of things to medicate. One of the medications, uh, the key medication that Sharon talked about was dialysis. And, and here is the definition of dialysis. Uh, when kidneys fail, dialysis keeps your body in balance by removing waste, salt, and extra water to prevent from building up in the body. It keeps your level safe and helps control blood pressure. Without it, waste builds up and it can lead to coma or death. Three times a week, Sharon had to go to dialysis. It wasn't a fix, but it helped kind of delay the inevitable, which was death. It helped delay uh, the consequences that diabetes would have if it was just left to rule all on its own in her body. And I think one of the ways that we've medicated throughout human history has been religion. And like I said, some medications are better than others. Dialysis is better than nothing. And in Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, the reason you have to keep going back and doing all these religious uh, rituals, all these sacrifices, is because it doesn't work perfectly. That's what it says in Hebrews 10. Throughout human history, humanity has been doing religious activity, and, and the Jews uh, were doing sacrificial systems, religious activity that, that were implemented and put in place by God, but God even acknowledges. And we read about that, that this system, this medication was not ever intended to work perfectly. In fact, it does not delay the inevitable. It, it does not eliminate it. 
And the writer of Ecclesiastes was thinking about this, and he was getting depressed because he, he says in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2, he says, death is the destiny of everyone. And I've watched and I've pondered and I looked at people that are good and bad. And I've looked at people that are righteous and wicked. I've looked at people, he says, I've looked at people that have sacrificed the way that God told them to and people that haven't sacrificed and yet the same reality eventually takes them all. All share a common destiny, he says. The same destiny takes them all. Like, man, that's depressing. And that's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, everything is meaningless. He just gets to this point where he's like, I don't, what's the point? It's meaningless. I mean, we try. We, we try and avoid death. But at, at the end of the day, who knows? Like, does any of this even really matter? And, and he's just, there's just this posture of defeat in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the condition, I think, that Sharon felt in some ways. That she's going to dialysis, but it's, it's, it's just delaying the inevitable. And her body's actually getting worse and worse, but at least it's not getting... Worse as quickly as it would otherwise. But God had a plan. God had a plan for them, and God had a plan for us. Let's see how the story continues. Yeah, so that was about September of 16. And um, I just thought, well, what, what the heck? Let's give it a shot. Um, you're only allowed to have one person in the process getting tested at a time. So you don't sort of crowd the process. And uh, so I said, well, I'll go and do it. What are the chances? I mean, they said it's a one in a million that a spouse is a, is a match. So figured I'd uh, do that. Even though it happened quickly, it took till um, right, uh, you know, continual tests and uh, and whatnot all the way through to the end of January of 17 um, to know to find out that I was you know getting close and you know the first test I did way back in September was yeah I'm a blood match okay that's that's great it's still a one in a million chance that this the six antigens that you need to be a perfect match will be a perfect match and it takes a process so end of January just as Sharon was starting uh, full-time dialysis which was a whole nother story um, I found out miraculously that I was a perfect match. Not only not only blood, but um, six antigens were, I think antigens is the right term, I might be getting that wrong, but six medical things were a perfect match. And, um, and that was a miracle. And we were, I, I mean, we were both ecstatic and said, oh, great, <laughs> we get circuitry together, right? And at that point, we knew that we were moving forward with it. The next step being um, getting uh, approval from the uh, College of Surgeons that we're actually going to do the surgery and uh, make sure that we were a good use of the resources because we're getting close to that 50 years where they, 50 year old, where they kind of say maybe it's not, maybe it's not the right time for you to do this. But so that all sounds. Like, well, that's fine, but in behind there, I am going to dialysis lots and crying every time that I go, um, knowing that it's not sustainable to, to live life this way. And so the option is here to, for Dave to step in and to give me a piece of himself in his kidney. And so I, I fought with that with God because 
because it's like standing on the edge of a cliff and knowing that you see your family all together. And now we're surrendering and saying, both of us are in this. And so the potential loss that our kids can really feel is A, they could lose one of us, and B, they could lose both of us. And it all centers because me having a disease. So there's lots to process in that. And we had to come to our kids. We had to talk about guardianship. We have Max, who's our youngest, who would take care of him if something would happen to one or both of us, who would take care of our household. So we had to talk about our will, but not only that, we had to be really forward with where our money and things we don't really like to talk about. And it um, drew us together. The kids gave us keys at, at Christmas as we all faced this. And mine's is fearless that they gave me, just to say that God's got us and we don't need to fear. And Dave got a, they gave him strength and, and just that time it just seemed to really solidify that they're behind us and that we're all stepping in towards the unknown knowing that God is over this and um, and we surrendered to that not knowing not knowing that we'd be on this side originally we had said we wouldn't we weren't going to consider this because we didn't want the kids kind of didn't want us to both be under surgery under knife at the same time so um, but as we went through the process, we all began, be, began to understand that, oh, oh, this looks like this is a match, Not, and also, yay, this is a match. Um, and the kids then, when, when we got the approval, we knew we were a match. The kids were like, yes, you need to do this. And so it was, a, it was an easy thing, an easy decision at that point. Um, and quite honestly, we have to say we all felt at peace about it. And July 5th, we... We had our surgery and um, our kids were there. Alyssa quit both her jobs that she had over the summer to come home and help with uh, driving and helping out at home and making meals and taking care of her parents. And Jax was back and forth. He, he was playing baseball in Medicine Hat, came back for a week or two. And, and in the end, we had a very, I mean, through the whole process, it was, it was, a, it was a very good family time. It was a, absolutely amazing. They talk about having a competition when you wake up from surgery. The competition is who can get to each other's bedside first, and um, and I beat Sharon. I came through, and she was mad. <laughs> I come walking, in, I come walking into her room because I won't let her stay in each other's room. You know, a day later, a couple days later, I don't know what it was, it was and she's like, "Oh, I was going to beat you," and uh, but I beat her. But what she did is beat me out of the hospital, and she left the hospital first. Miraculously, the morning she woke up, my kidney was functioning in her perfectly. And um, she didn't need dialysis, right? Right. And my last one was the night before, or yeah. the, the night before surgery that day. Yeah. And she didn't need it. Didn't need it anymore. So she went home, and we go down. I end up getting some crazy infection, and what we're going, her family comes and visit, and we go to try to go outside a little bit. We go outside, and she's like, you know, twenty steps ahead of me, moving along, and I'm going along slow, and I just remember looking at her going, "Since when do I gotta? <laughs> you gotta wait for me here." All of a sudden. It was kind no, of funny. You but said, I've waited for you yeah. for this number of years, and you can't wait for me for yeah. 10 minutes? Yeah, and then she went home and she came and visited me twice in the hospital with my, with my kidney, so it was pretty awesome. 
So just to go back to the beginning is that Dave was that first guy that I met in grade 12 and we did get married, but that was God's plan. And I can remember in those days knowing that Dave was the one and he was the guy. And, and just knowing that God had this written long ago and uh, he put this together. And so my prayer before um, this all happened was just that I'd get to see my to see my kids, to get them, see them get a little older and get more settled and find their ones. And and um, Alyssa is getting married this summer, and it's really just a stamp on it that God is gracious and good, and merciful. Mm -hmm. And your gift. energy level has increased, right? Oh, your what hair has grown back. <laughs> All kinds of good stuff has come out of it, and uh, we're just very thankful that, um, that that God provided a solution in that, uh, that we had no idea was in place or that we would ever need it. So I really think that, you know, we're praying for a kidney way back, and, you know, back in September when we started of 2016, realizing we needed one, and that prayer had been answered 30 years ago already. We just hadn't figured it out yet, so that's, that's pretty cool. I guess the verse that really has become real to me is the verse that says, Greater love has no man than this, that one lays down his life for another. Hmm. And I really wouldn't be here without you having obeyed. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Greater love has no man than this than he, uh, than he lays down his life for another. This is the Easter story. A, a verse that, that Jesus uh, gave that you're probably familiar with. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we memorize, I, I mean, I memorized that verse when I was a kid. Um, but there's a... All verses come in a context. And there's something that's said right before that in, in John 3, 14 and 15. It said, just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And what is being referred to, Jesus referring to the story that happens in Numbers 21 where a snake, uh, there's these snakes that bite all of the Israelites and they're all poison. They, they all have a sickness. And there's people dying. And, and God tells Moses to, to make a snake and put the snake up on a pole. And then everybody who is sick can actually look at the snake on the pole, and when they look at it, they will be healed. Jesus goes back to the story, and he says, uh, this is me. Uh, and you are sick. You have a condition. You have been medicating this for thousands and thousands of years. And you want to be healed. And if you want to be healed, then look. And believe. And us Westerners, we hear believe and we think, okay, I got I to gotta figure out how this all works. But that's not what the word believe means. In fact, uh, the word uh, pistis is the noun faith. Everybody say pistis. And that means faith. And the word for, that's translated believe in our scriptures is pistuo. Say pistuo. And that is the verb for faith. 
The challenge is that we actually don't have a word uh, that is a verb for faith. And so we translate it believe, and then we read it and we think, oh, believe, it's this intellectual thing uh, that I got to... I got to figure it out with enough clarity and, uh, and understand how it all works, and then I'm going to be saved, and then I'm going to be healed, and then the resurrection story can be my story. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is Jesus saying, whoever looks at me and faiths me, that's the verb, faiths me. And the word faith is a, it's putting your weight into something. It's trusting something. It's, it's putting your whole self into something. There's an action involved, and it's not an intellectual thing. It's actually a physical response. That Christian faith is not about belief. It is actually about trust. It's about trusting Jesus more than you trust yourself. I had surgery quite a number of years ago, uh, significant back surgery. And uh, I was, uh, got a whole bunch of things kind of redone in my back. And, um, you know, and I, and I went to find a good surgeon, right? And apparently this guy was really, really good. Uh, and, uh, and he said, do you believe that I can fix your back? And I said, sure, I believe that. Um, but then, and, and if I told you the story and I said, but I never got on the, uh, I never got on the operating table. What would you say? You say, you didn't really believe it, did you? You, you, you maybe believed intellectually, yeah, he could fix my back, but, but true belief, true trust, true faith actually comes when I put myself on that table and trusted somebody more than trusting myself and just letting things stay the same. We talk about giving Jesus our heart, uh, but I think what the story reminds me of that Dave and Sharon told and what some of these scriptures remind me of, that it's not just giving Jesus our heart, but it's actually a heart transplant. It's a surgery. It's, it's recognizing that there's a human condition, and Jesus wants to exchange his heart with ours. Jesus, want, Jesus chose death so that we could have life, and Jesus' resurrection proves that God's power is not even held captive by death. Death has had the final word for all of history except on Easter Sunday, and then God looks at us and says, who are you going to put your trust in? For all of history, humanity has been trying to figure this out. And then he looks at us and he's basically saying, how is that working for you? How's that working for you? Who are you going to put your trust in? Do you have faith? Do you believe? Do you put your weight into me? And when we talk about baptisms, we had baptisms earlier this morning. And we talk about going under the water into death. And I was thinking about this, like... Uh, I think Dave used the phrase, uh, going under the knife. I, I think baptism is almost a little bit like that. That we're going into surgery. Because we actually have recognized that the inevitability of sin and death. And that we're incapable of actually dealing with that on our own. And we can choose to ignore it. We can choose to not think about it. Or we can choose to actually realize that and say, I need to trust God more than I trust myself. I need to put my weight into Jesus. And I might not actually understand the mystery of how that all works, but I'm going to choose, based on the death and resurrection of Jesus, to place my trust there. In 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5, it talks about uh, Jesus being the new Adam. Jesus being the perfect match. Much like 
much like Sharon and Dave were married for years, and they didn't actually recognize that Dave was the very thing that Sharon needed, you and I are in need, and Jesus actually is the human being, that God came as a human in perfect form so that he could transplant his life into ours. That he is the new Adam. That we actually live in sin and death because of the old Adam. And Adam means, uh, the actual name means humanity. We are part of this lineage, this human lineage, and we live in sin and death. But Jesus is the new Adam, and those who actually put their faith in him will participate with him in life and resurrection. So have you gone under the knife? Have you been willing to put your trust into someone else's hands besides yourself? Or are you just kind of not thinking about death and delaying the inevitable? Many people do that. But this Sunday is not about death. This Sunday is about life. This Sunday is about resurrection. And I'm actually going to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to close in a minute. But if you're able, please stand. And I invite you to close your eyes. And I, and I, be, I don't believe in coincidences, you know, much like um, God knew what he was doing long ago with Dave and Sharon. I think God knew what he was doing uh, in having you and I in this room together this morning. And I wonder if many of you have actually kind of been delaying just the inevitable, trying to medicate, and you recognize that this is not the answer. And that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus says, we are all sick. And I came for those who know they are sick and need healing. And maybe you've never made the decision to trust Jesus. And I don't want to pretend like there's some simple formulaic prayer that actually makes this all happen. It's not. It's actually a heart posture response, a trust with your life into the person of Jesus. And maybe this is a first step of trust for somebody this morning. And with our eyes closed, I'm, I'm just going to invite you, if, if you've never placed your trust into Jesus before, and you want to do that this morning, you want this to be the beginning of a new day, I just invite you to raise your hand. With their eyes closed, just raise your hand. Never placed your trust in the Jesus before, just raise your hand. Thank you. See those hands? Yeah. Thank you. If you raise your hand this morning, following the service, we're, we're going to have our prayer teams will be available at the front and I would invite you to actually respond by coming forward and praying with them so they can uh, just guide you and pray with you as you enter into what it means to place your faith and your trust in the Jesus. And at SunWest we believe that, you know, the, that first confession is a private one but the second one is a public one and, and, I, and I think uh, baptism is one of the 
very few things that Jesus said, continue to do this. You must do this. Get, uh, go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Allow them to die to themselves and be resurrected into life. Allow them to get on the surgery table and be transplanted to receive the life that I have for them. And I think there's some of you who have not taken that step of baptism. And that maybe today is that time. Maybe today is that moment. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I didn't bring my baptism clothes. I didn't wear my non uh, or my waterproof uh, makeup or whatever you call it. Uh, you, you You got all these reasons why maybe you wouldn't do that. But let me tell you this. When I went and got back surgery, I... You can open your eyes for a second. Uh, well, when I went and got back surgery, I remember walking around the hospital... Uh, naked, having people helping me go to the bathroom, having people... It, it, when I look back and I was like, man, that was embarrassing. But in that moment, I wasn't embarrassed at all. Why? Because when you're dealing with life and death, when you're dealing with surgery, when you're dealing with something of this magnitude, uh, the discomfort that maybe we normally think about actually fails in comparison to the decision that you're making. And when Jesus tells us to die to ourselves, pick up your cross and follow him... Uh, Maybe part of that is just letting go of that stuff and saying, you know what, whatever. I'm going to baptize today. I don't care. Enough of this delaying the inevitable. I am going to put my faith and my trust into Jesus, and that's signified throughout Christian history as taking the step of baptism. So this morning, if you would like to be baptized, um, you can do it right now at the end of service, uh, or you can... uh, do it in second service if you want to make sure you're ready to go. Uh, but either way, we would like to give you the opportunity to make that decision, that proclamation, to get on the surgery table, so to speak, this morning. And during this final song, uh, which the band and the kids are going to lead us in, if, if that's a decision you'd like to be, I'm just going to be standing right here at the front. Uh, you can come and chat with me, and uh, we can talk about that, uh, about whether you want to do that now or in second service. So let me pray. And then, uh, and to recap, if you put up your hand on that first question, please see the prayer teams after the service. And if you want to get baptized, you can come and see me. Jesus, we thank you that death is no longer victorious, that death has lost its sting, that death does not have the final word. We thank you that those who confess with their mouths and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved, will be healed. And so we lift our eyes up because, Lord, we recognize that we have sinned, that death is our reality, and that without you we are helpless and we uh, need the great physician, the great healer, the new Adam that can remake us. And so we choose to die to ourselves, die to our pride, die to medicating, die to doing things our own way, and we choose to live for you And we thank you for the life that you freely give each and every person that desires it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.